Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello! And welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick. In the absence of Adam Wilborn, you will certainly miss the day because I don't know how he recaps this <laughs> three-hour-long junk. And I am joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to run down everything that happened on last night's edition of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts we preview and review raw smackdown nxt AEW dynamite pay-per-views we conduct wrestler interviews we hold roundtable discussions on get the table and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture god damn it is it may is it june <laughs> this was a rubbish repetitive at times utterly dreadful edition of monday night raw that played out to a dead, dead crowd. Is that harsh? No. Um, worryingly dead at points as well. Um, yeah. A boring show, which is inexcusable. Two weeks into crowds. Inexcusable, really. Lacking any real great hook, I thought, as well. Any great reason to stay tuned in. Um, lacking John Cena, which was odd. Like, fair enough, the you know ticket buying punters got him but i like an odd choice almost a flex from wwe they're like oh we don't need john cena and it's like well you do you absolutely do um find myself having the worst feelings for new top baby faces which is pity you know we'll get to it but starting to pity the attempts at building top baby faces and even the the match where somebody was going to double down on a damaging defeat last week lacked all the patter we got out of Jeff Hardy and Karrion Cross. Like, even that match, which I was looking at thinking, oh, Christ, nobody can afford to lose this. It lacked any joy about it. I couldn't even take any sardonic pleasure off that. No, I was just completely disenchanted by all of this. And it's so stunningly predictable. What happens when you recycle all of these programs is that you get dead crowds. It doesn't matter that they are in a new city and they haven't watched anything in however many months. If you get in the same show or some kind of derivation of the same show, people are just going to sit there and react to what is given to them. And they barely reacted at all. What's happened before we get into the show, in my opinion, is that the complexion of the WWE audience has changed profoundly 
since, funnily enough, considering they're heavily in the news cycle, um, the respective peaks of the CM Punk and Daniel Bryan characters, it felt for the longest time with no viable alternative that felt major league, that was episodic, that had that inherent ability to sort of keep you on the hook. It's that WWE fans got fed up of fighting against a machine that was impervious to change. Several million dropped off between 2015, when I think the realization set in of, oh, this isn't changing. Um, several million people dropped off. They were the loudest. They were the most defiant. They were the most passionate. And what you're left with now are hardcores who, in volume, feel like anything but. It's a different WWE audience. People are people were worried. Certain, the worst circles of Twitter were worried. Oh God, I don't want fans to come back. So you don't want yourself to enjoy this. Regardless, it's such a small portion that you don't really want to linger on it too long. But they were worried about fans coming back and hijacking the show and rejecting the show. This was simply never going to happen because WWE has left itself now with an audience that is somehow still committed enough to purchase money to buy a ticket, and yet they do not care. This show was essentially a Thunderdome Raw, and it's the second Raw with live fans back. But this specific Raw started with Nikki A.S.H., running down her championship win and thanking the crowd for getting behind her. I would describe this crowd reaction as tepid, if not mixed. It did not feel remotely like a new superstar baby face was on the scene, put it that way. Uh, we got a lot of full positive messaging, um, just yet more telling and showing what this character is in all of its one pretty corny dimension we spoke before like good on her for finding something daft that, Vic, that Vince McMahon is going to push and Jesus Christ is he pushing it first and last segments title win the whole bit she's of course interrupted she's also said of course um welcome to Monday Night Raw I've always wanted to say that well you wanted to be a master of ceremonies you've wanted to be the per I mean I guess symbolically the person who starts the show is considered a hook a ratings grabber a big star I can understand why she's always wanted to do this, but it just, again, speaks to the priorities that a lot of WWE independent contractors have. They're not the ones I want my stars to have, put it that way. Um, she talks about how she used to be afraid of failure, and she realized failing is just that. You fail once, and then you get back on the horse. A lot of asinine, child-friendly stuff that, as a 35-year-old, I feel like I shouldn't even be analyzing, but this is the job I am in, and usually it's good, but that's on a Thursday morning. She's interrupted. <laughs> by Charlotte Flair, who gives every single excuse in the book in an increasingly drab and very, very long promo segment. She blames the fans. Then she blames uh, Rhea Ripley. This, of course, summons Rhea Ripley. And a big schmoz ensues in which they both claim, uh, claim sorry, to the belt. Uh, there was so much word soup here. There was so much repetitive crowd-baiting nonsense that I genuinely can't remember half the verbiage. It's a profound problem with how much content is on this goddamn show. But basically, it all, after some butterfly patter, <laughs> the metamorphosis. So we're talking about the law of superheroes now at this point. Um, Sonia Deville, Adam Pearce arrive on the scene for the fourth carriage of the promo train. And there's a triple threat match set at SummerSlam between... Nikki A.S.H., Ash, whatever the hell she's called, Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. Charlotte Flair thought this was dumb and she wanted a non-title singles match against Nikki tonight 
and Nikki A.S.H. accepted to make the main event that wasn't set before the show because the show is fake and they scream it in your face. There's a little bit of a physical skirmish uh, to skirmish, sorry, to set it up, and uh, that was your lot. Twenty minutes. <laughs> a lot is right. <laughs> That's not my lot. It's just a lot. Twenty minutes, man. Um, oh, Super Marvel. Is that your favourite, or do you like um, Mega DC? <laughs> oh Christ like often often on these podcasts um we have a bit of a joke about my age specifically you're going to be creeping up on 36 soon and it's easy to feel it's easy to feel ancient um amongst some of the the younger wrestling fans you see online and then it's good to know that the performers themselves can make you feel younger by comparison dropping things like Super Marvel into a promo. I suddenly felt like I was still young and relevant and had something to say. So that was quite nice. I appreciated that from Charlotte Flair. Oh, man, I didn't appreciate much else from her. Um, I really don't know where to start with this, Nikki A.S.H. I think there's going to be some wretched takes, filling timelines everywhere for uh, trying to defend this character. It might be coming from a good place. Maybe. I don't know. But um, it's imperfect. And that's the problem. That's why fans are ultimately going to give it 50-50 reactions at house show. I thought, like, it was amazing the pop she received tonight. And they're going to dilute that really, really quickly with the booking of it, as we'll get to later in the show. She was over. Really, really over when she came out. I will buy almost anything if week after week after week audiences tell me that they like it. Because ultimately, it's such a large contributing factor to pro wrestling, especially now especially after like 17 months or something, that would absolutely buy whatever you're flogging me if enough people in a building want to go along with it. And as proven by last week, fans back winners. So we've said this over and over again, but fans will back winners. So as long as she doesn't lose really soon, they've got nothing to worry about. More on that later. Um, I had such a huge problem with, you called her the MC. They basically do that thing now where like a top baby face, we've seen it a million times. It happened with Drew. Always happened with Roman. They're effectively moved into being like a guest host of Monday Night Raw. And what really boiled my piss about I've always really wanted to say welcome to Monday Night Raw is yet again, WWE have invented this like trophy of something that is meaningless. When, and this is more egregious, the literal trophy that they compete for is over her shoulder as she says it. It'd be one thing for Nikki Cross to have like the biggest win of her career and it'd be a bit of a fluke. And now she's lining up for a title shot. And that's the thing. It's like, because that's that's the season finale of your whole career is winning that belt, right? But she's got the belt over her shoulder. And now I get the real prize. I get to do what Stephanie McMahon did for two years every week. That's the real quiz in this godforsaken company and all this like ill morals and terrible goals and stupid value system. And I know this sounds like overanalyzing something, but I believe it's important to give fair and equal analysis. That's why I wanted to make a point of starting off by saying crowds were cheering for it. So I'm going to watch his character and buy it as getting over and write about it in lists coming soon to whatculture.com with a face splashed across the thumbnail if it gets kept in. Um, you know, like saying as much because I just want to believe the product. I want to buy what I'm watching for three hours on a Monday night. Don't strip that away with bad booking and miserable scripting like this. And a stupid three-way for SummerSlam feels so 
fillery on what is otherwise looking like a pretty big card. And I'm kind of glad that's happened as well because WWE looked like they were going to get away with some pretty miserable booking of the women's division over the last few months. And this main event is just that. It's a miserable booking. Um, who wants to see a Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair fight again ever? Who wants to see either of them compete for the women's title? I would have genuinely taken Nikki A.S.H. versus Alexa Bliss at this point because it would have felt new. Mm-hmm. And instead, we've got this wretched rehash of a three-way that I don't think people are going to care about by the time the show gets here. Like, honestly, like, I'll ask you now. We've got, like, four weeks before SummerSlam? Something like that, yes. Is Nikki as champion going to be booed in that match by then? Oh, potentially. I read reports that how show reactions to the character was split. Um, as I mentioned on the preview yesterday, there's a scene of quality to her where it's clearly aimed at kids. I don't think she'll be quite as oppressive as Cena was as a presence. Then again, this show pretty much tipped the hat to the fact that she might be. Yeah, they'll, I mean, they're going to bugger literally everything up on this show. <laughs> so they're clearly going to bugger up the person that Vince McMahon is most invested in because there's just a huge gape and chasm between what he likes and what we like. Um, but we'll get them more on that later. Of course, we will. Um, next up, there was a little pre-tape with Damien Priest. Half-decent little promo, not ambitious, just 30 seconds. Um, he just cuts this actual badass, like, authoritative figure, does Damien Priest. Uh, Jimmy Smith said that we'd see a Priest face off against a returning Seamus next. Not the first occasion on which he got, on which he got his names uh, mixed up tonight. I can't blame him for just being numb to whatever happens on this show. <laughs> literally dreading this recap um damian priest did in fact beat um united states champion sheamus so on the first two episodes of raw since we returned three champions have lost yeah that's right so yeah. they have like whatever one point whatever per show like plus one ridiculous absolutely ridiculous anyway the match was basically centered around the fact that damian priest is recovering from a back injury uh which sheamus targeted with some half decent um, hard-hitting offense. There was a nice spot on the apron and a pretty mid-match that was basically, in WWE style, just promoted as pretext to do a rematch. Um, Damien Priest fought back with a nice little um, choke slam of sorts um, from a springboard. That was quite nice. Um, Sheamus's Alabama slam, again, targeting the back. Like, this is meat and potatoes, very basic storytelling, articulated quite nicely with a bit of physicality. Um, but regardless, um, Damian Priest, in the end, hits hit the lights uh, for the pinfall win. What did he make of the match? Oh, God, what are we doing here, man? Like, it was just... I don't know. Uh, like, yeah, like, the match was absolutely fine. Um, but this has been a feud, right? And, and not an awful one at that. I don't like Seamus's coward character, but we are where we are with that. And Damian Priest calls him out on it and wants a match and wants his belt because he thinks he'll be a better champion. He'll be a better representative of this secondary title. Fine because you're actually making that title feel like something worth winning. Damien Priest wants the United States title more than he wants to say welcome to Monday Night Raw. So well done, Damien Priest, right? But he's beaten the champion to get that match. So we've been sold Damien Priest's hero's journey with a boring version of that. I don't want to watch this match again because I've just seen it and it was just fine. Like it can't possibly well it probably will be it can't possibly be a SummerSlam match because it'll just be ever slightly less boring than this and that's not exactly getting you hot for the biggest party of the summer is it 
And it's not going to fail like a coronation because Priest's already beaten him. So then what, does Seamus go over? And it's just like, right, no, not quite yet. Time for you, Priest. You know, you've won your contenders challenge tonight because I guess you can't be number one contender anymore because it probably leads to rankings or something. I don't know why, why he's getting rid of that. Trademark. Eliminate his trademarks, you know. I don't know why that's disappeared. Maybe because Vince, like, has only just reached the age where he realised number one means piss and he thinks it's so funny that they can't use that yeah. phrase on television now. Um my, he's going he's gonna to howl when he hears what the number two contender is. Um, but like, I like not not bad, but not good. And the bar is so low that later on in this year, me or you could write a list where like we could consider Damien Priest one of to be his biggest success stories of the year. That's where the standard currently is because he's just not been screwed up. There are others on this show in such a worse state than Damien Priest that you can kind of like wave this off it's a passing fancy, but it's not good. I'm not. I don't feel anything for it. I don't feel anything for this either, and I think it's because I'm meant to feel something for a match that has just happened. So I don't really feel anything <laughs> at all. Uh, I should mention two things before we move on to the next segment. One, uh, Mr. Key's storyline beating that match actually. Um, Sheamus's face mask was removed to reveal that he doesn't actually have a broken nose. He's just under the delusion of the cowardice um, that it is in fact broken. How hard is it um, to just build someone? He's woefully miscast in this role of Seamus because he's actually a badass with a really snug style, uh, snug style who you can take seriously. Like they can have a Miro on their hands potentially in Seamus, and when you have a Miro on your hands, we've fantasy booked at least eight great baby faces who could beat him at all out or potentially even full gear. The problem is that Seamus is a coward and WWE can't book baby faces. So we will not be doing that again on this show. Secondly, and this will annoy some people but we well i didn't have time to uh, make notes on watch and scour the youtube comments for a five-star review review much as i would love to skip some of this bollocks <laughs> we, my daughter got over quarter six so blame charlotte um a lot of people do like to blame people named charlotte even though <laughs> she just gets booked like she does um up next back in the ring um aj styles and almost had the widely anticipated Super fresh match with the Viking Raiders for the Royal Tag Team Championships. I, I was fed delusional drivel, not just by mutants, but by blue ticks saying that, or oh, like next level to blue ticks. They aren't going to get better when fans return, you know. Uh, repeating some stuff. No, they're just doing the same old absolute bollocks with the exact same result. The Viking Raiders are all but dead. They'll have to turn heel, and even then they'll be dead after two months anyway. I did actually think, right that as much as it's weird for the babyface team to do this, it was proper dissonant, but I still felt like this was probably the best match they've had. And in a, yeah. in a indictment of almost, the idea was he was barely in it because the idea the Viking Raiders realised, we are absolutely screwed when this absolute colossus of a man enters the ring, so we will <laughs> we will play the role of the Midnight Express and just get in the hell out of there by any means <laughs> necessary. Like, I don't know what we're doing here, but it still allowed um, AJ and Ivar to run through some stuff. And I thought their stuff in particular looked great, like the cartwheel evasions from the aerial attacks. Like, it was all really nicely done. As I said, almost who's still very green, um, he was allowed to do his thing without being exposed in the process. There was a story to the match. The story enabled some good action, as I mentioned. But in the end, the same result as we've seen a million times happens, but this time Styles got the shine by having the result with the springboard 450 and it looked awesome. Uh, yeah, the best match they've had, 
But again, they do a good to very good, maybe just good tag team match on Raw. But by the time they do it, no one cares because we've seen it five times. And I might have literally said this last week. I've got, I'm not just saying this. I'm getting actual deja vu as I say these words. I agree that it was the best match they've had. Genuinely, like, earnestly enjoyed this. Um, I say this a lot on the Raw review specifically, but it didn't outstay its welcome. This, like, had a goal in mind was to give you, like, 10 hot minutes. And it did that without ever feeling like it was flagging, which was great. Um, I think this was Omos' best match. And I know he does so little in the matches, but it's how well you do the stuff that you do. And that, like, a really great spot, by the way. Like, really, really well thought out spot. When he broke up the cover, pulled them both to the floor and flung the Viking Raiders into one another on the outside. That takes a giant man to do that to giant men. And I love that. Like, that's exactly how you book him. It's exactly how you use him. Um, And yet I left the night feeling confused because this felt, much like last week, a continuation of the baby facing of the tag team champions because the fans have decided to receive AJ Styles as a massive baby face and thus this tag team will be good guys and they do cool moves. So bonus, I guess. And then that finish, as you say, handing that over to AJ Styles, all of a sudden makes them look like a face tag team that want to not just win, but give the people what they want in the process. Imagine if this was the week that launches that as a tag team finisher and almost makes the tag before he hits the tree slam. So almost makes the tag, hits the tree slam, at which point AJ has ran across like Paul Roma back in the day before the Powerplex to the yeah. middle of the rings to do that springboard 450. And it feels cohesive. And it's like, and that's what they're setting up for. And now in the future, when a guy's about to get tree slammed, it behooves the other partner to get around the other side of the ring and try and pull AJ down or whatever. You create a moment there, you know? It's cool stuff. And I just thought all of that was so well constructed to set these up finally as baby faces. And then it's like, oh yeah, WWE can't tell stories and they can't book. So... Unfortunately, because they can't tell stories and they can't book, they can only have one tag team feud at a time. And that tag team feud is for the belts. And the contenders for the belts are Riddle and Randy Orton. And we'll get to that later. So you book this match where you use baby faces in the Viking Raiders to make new faces. And then you keep AJ and Elmos heel by the end of this show. And I, like, you know, we're long past the days of the left hand not knowing what the right's doing. But this was that on another level because the crowd are telling you the crowd is showing you, and if there was ever a time to just take those easy wins, just take them. It's so odd. WWE has long since degenerated into the company. They always said they weren't. They always patronized every other promotion virtually, particularly in like the year 2010. They always said, we make movies and everyone else is a spot monkey and you have to learn to work when you come to WWE. And now we've reached this asinine point at which the action's good, but the storytelling's totally incoherent. Like, as you said, like, you've got the Viking Raiders who are, for the purposes of an analogy, the new demolition, and they are playing the role of the Brain Busters to get over, I guess, a team who the crowd want to receive as baby faces, and yet they turn full heel again later on in the night. It's just absolutely inexplicable um, on the subject of which I can use that as a segue for anything on the show as well. <laughs> That's the thing. What a great, great um, trick I've just learned. Yeah, on the subject of inexplicable, Jinder Mahal comes out uh, to cut a promo before um, Drew McIntyre's match with Veer. said he was disgusted at the response of the crowd, each and every one of you cheered 
when Drew McIntyre annihilated Shanky with that chair. And uh, he wanted Drew McIntyre to apologise. And um, McIntyre just didn't bother um, verbalising anything. And Mahal said, well, it's just as lucky you didn't actually do that because I've brought my lawyer with me and we're going to sue. So you got one more chance to apologise. Uh, McIntyre told him to shut up and he played the crowd. Um, he asked if he should apologise and buy the mistake dinner. And they went, no, Drew, they, I don't apologise, Drew, very meekly. And in something that is this kind of, like, we're on the 400th, 500th death by a thousand cut, um, by which Drew McIntyre will be a heel by the end of the year. And <laughs> um, one of which is begging for the audience to chant on his behalf. And it's like, very few people can get away with that. And there's a way you do it. There are certain tricks that you can do. You can say something. You can, like, register and allow the crowd to go, oh, they want me to... Oh, he wants me to chant that. So if Drew McIntyre has said, yeah, get in here. I'm going to kill you. The crowd, if they were really responding to the Drew McIntyre character, would have said, Drew's going to kill you. They would have been banging to it. Mm. They kind of knew this. Drew himself started the chant, which was lame. It was a bit like anointing oneself with a nickname. I'm going to be Magnum. You're going to call me Magnum now. It's like, no, you idiot. You're Sidge. You're not Magnum. Anyway, we get to the match. <laughs> I don't know where Magnums come from, to be fair. We get to the match. Slug PI. <laughs> I'll put it on Twitter because there's a word I can't say, but my favourite ever nickname given to me by the old comment section, will go under this uh, tweet. If I forget, tag me in it and I will put it there. Uh, the match is the match. Um, it's Drew in a lim- versus a limited guy who's very green in three minutes 50. Drew basically is killing him. Um, Via did get a little bit in, but Mahal didn't think he'd get the job done. Slid in a chair and Drew got uh, disqualified, did he not? Because he claimed the chair into Via's face. Got to protect Via, man. Don't just protect Via, indeed. Let's make an analogy. John Moxley is a man who, much like Drew McIntyre, is still playing an upper mid-card face, having lost uh, the world title um, not too long ago. Like, can you imagine Drew uh, John Moxley on Dynamite losing via disqualification to Michael Nakazawa? Like, it's so helpful <laughs> to exist because you get the example of what you should not do. Mm great and people hate it but don't ask yourself why i say these things ask why it's acceptable for wwe to be as bad as it is um in the end um actually hang on i got it wrong mcintyre gets the win because mahal was the one who handed the the other chair yeah, i what a mess it's, well i'm yeah, not that, i'm not bad at this this is no a that's it's a mess it's a mess the example by the way the AEW example has been extreme is because, you know, you've got a shocked face there, Sidri. They changed their minds. I was right all along. They've changed their mind. They did, in fact, change their mind, I recall. Or did they? they delivered, I'm they pretty delivered. sure Graves, at, them, at that point, in my notes here, I've said that Graves said that Via was handed the DQ in the record books. The record books! <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. No, I'm not going to try and make sense of that finish, because obviously they can't, you know. Um... The AW example is so extreme because there's a generation of fans that don't know that that's the normal way to book a wrestling show. They think WWE's way of doing things. If you're, um, well, if you're 14, by the way, 
um, maybe the day that you were born was featured on Monday Night Raw tonight in a graphic with the Miz and Morrison. But if you're 14, <laughs> this is the only wrestling you've ever known. Um, and AW has shown you a different way. And it's the way that was the one that we knew. And we, and I say we, people in the, maybe the 20s or 30s, whatever. And that's where this divide is. It's between two groups of people that fundamentally can't understand how the other side can see it that way. But I think that's why the examples are so worthwhile. Because I think at this point, if you've got two so distinctive products, then you're just going to have these examples flaring up over and over and over and over again. And that's no bad thing for the conversation. It's no bad for everybody's learning. On this specifically, um, I just love this as an extension to the continuing misadventures of Vince McMahon and Triple H. Triple H loses his champion's credibility completely last week. And he's like, fine, right. I'll, uh, I'll just put him in a match against Samoa Joe, get the belt off him. And Vince is like, right, well, I'm going to take Samoa Joe's chat off and then I'll give it to my guy. So Joe's lost his Joe's lost his song. It's got a dream forever. Um, so I'm enjoying that game of one-upsmanship. I'll have a bit more of that. This feud reminds me. Um, Drew McIntyre's main event run isn't going off a cliff in front of our very eyes, but it is flirting with it. This reminds me of when Roman Reigns was a busted flush in 2015. And then bizarrely, a feud with Vince McMahon, of all people, temporarily got him over as a baby face. Remember that? Sheamus had the the Austin 316 knockoff t-shirt and Vince was there as like the guest referee making his tits dance and all that sort of stuff. It was like <laughs> just <laughs> such a like it was the last Vince before we got this marble mouth weird floating head version now. Like it's just like like a like a walking NFT that he is these days. Like it's just it was this strange period where Roman was over as a baby and then it was gone again. It was gone as soon as the Royal Rumble when he had to defend his belt against 29 others. It was gone that quick. I worry that this is happening with Drew because people just cannot find anything to like about the Jinder Mahal act, whether it's memories of the WWE title reign are just so fresh or the fact that he's basically come back from nowhere. He's a guy that's virtually avoided the pandemic era entirely through injury. And I, I can't explain what it is, but while nobody particularly wants to boo Jinder, they don't want to boo Drew against Jinder. So this feels like a stay of execution. If you compare the reactions Drew's getting to what he got on Money in the Bank, this feels like a stay of execution for like Drew as the babyface character. It doesn't feel like he's on the right track and everything's going to be fine. I worry for him when Jinder's in the rear view. Like, I don't know who they go to next to keep these reactions the right side of good for him. Yeah, it feels like, and I should know as well, that Drew McIntyre kicked the head off the lawyer in the end for the making the uh, crowd happy sort of deal. But it does feel like this is either a very boring version of quasi-savvy because, as you say, they're not really putting them like, under the glare of anything meaningful and whether people are prepared to buy them in the role of anything really oppressive or meaningful on this show. So, yeah, a very boring state of execution is the best way of putting it. Um, on the subject of inexplicable... They replaced <laughs> Eva Marie doing the trip. Like the, one of the worst bumps I've ever seen. Like the worst mm. non-flatback bump you've ever seen. The worst sell job you've ever seen. They replayed it last week. And we go to Eva Marie telling Doudrop not to worry. Because, you know, the winter night. Don't worry about Alexa Bliss. We'll get closer to those tag team titles. Um, who are the champions again? Natalia and Tamina. Yeah. Right. This is working on the assumption that even Marie and Dewdrop don't stab each other in the back again, because that's already happened in this relationship. Yes. Within two weeks. Of it, yeah. 
apparently they're pals again. Um, what followed was a total disaster for reasons that could not be accounted for and for reasons that were very much their weird, bizarre choice. Um, the usual crack, Dewdrop does most of the stuff. Eva Marie tags in so she can steal the glory. When the glory isn't forthcoming, Eva Marie does a bit where she's terrified about doing wrestling, even though it's the job that she is like ostensibly trained to do, at which point um, Natalia and Dewdrop do some chain wrestling, I guess, on the floor. It ends disastrously um, because in the process, Natalia hurts her leg, obviously best wishes and hopes for her return. Um, if in fact this is just a tweak, uh, we've got no reports yet um, on that, I'm afraid. But check back to whatculture.com slash WWE. I'm sure one will be imminent. And the match ends <laughs> via distraction. And I don't know how it's possible for an inanimate object to distract somebody. But luckily, Alexa Bliss doubles as she's a professional wrestler, she's a non-spater, and she's also a video editor. Um, because Lily satirizes... I'm going to say the sentence to you, and I'm telling you. One, it's real. Two, WWE expect this to somehow get over supernatural antagonist who is also an associate of a baby face yeah. is also an inanimate object satirizes influencer instagram model to affect outcome of match in the favor of strange bedfellows tag team who can't coexist, but now can. <laughs> You're forgetting as well. Lily popping in the production truck and saying, "I was just up late last night on Adobe Premiere. Can you, uh, <laughs> can you play? Can you play this at a three-minute mark, please?" <laughs> just Kevin Dunn. Yeah, yeah, no, I just. Aye, <laughs> the Lily, the Lily lotion, the Lily lotion. Sorry, Christ, the Lily lotion. What's those sex fetishes when they're watching it? All the dancers are gonna buy it. <laughs> <laughs> get, get it for six grand. Put some, put some uh, sparkle splash in it. Say so it's real. There is a creative writer listening to this podcast right now who's going, oh, Christ, I'm going to make an absolute mint pitch in me. <laughs> oh, the Lily Lucian. Um, I mean, it works. We, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but this misses Will Bond's Lily gimmick, doesn't it? Because <laughs> stripped of that, we can no longer analyse this nonsense. It's just, it's the same garbage it always is. It's a doll. Um, they've put it in a video package this week um, instead of on a swing or whatever. The Alexa Bliss character, and this is of great relief to me in the, what, two weeks that we've had crowds back, isn't landing with fans for the most part. And thank Christ, like, obviously... The school gate lurchers have got to keep quiet when they're in the building. Maybe wear the T-shirt, but they can't shout it from the rooftops. But they uh, they like this gimmick. And uh, good, because it's the only thing that stands a chance of having it terminated. You know, like, I like Alexa Bliss a great deal. I think a lot about how she managed to get over, specifically in 2016, when, like, I love the four horsewomen, but everything was positioned around them being the ones to lead the charge. 
about all these people coming to NXT. And Alexa Bliss kind of broke through the pack. Rare case of somebody being sort of undeniable, especially around WWE's bad booking. And uh, I'd like to see her escape this. You know, I think she's good enough to not have like a T-bar mace-like reaction to this dreadful chapter in her career. But fans are making it clear this isn't getting a reaction at this point. You know, you can't put pop.wav atop the Lillilution the video. They're sweetened it all night. I, you know, they're still doing it. You can tell they're still doing it, but not enough to make it feel convincing. Yes. Maybe, maybe people are buying the merch, buying the cameos. I don't know. And maybe that's why they'll persist with it. But I don't think this can be very long for this world because this world's the proper one, not the strange one that existed in the walls of the Thunderdome. Indeed. Um, just to make perfectly clear that inexplicable finish, Lily, the doll, did in fact distract Eva Marie, with whom they are feuding, I guess. Um, so Tamina super kicked um, Marie for the win. Wasn't Tamina pissing off Lily? Like, not too. Uh, yeah, they kind of went into the playground and were just, you know, oh, I don't like this. Let's get out. Let's get out of here, Megan Chris. Like, it was just. I'm pretty sure Tamina just knows all this as if, like, oh, I can't believe this. And yet now she's mates with the doll. Well, she's probably known real people scarier than a doll, you know. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Indeed. Indeed. It's <laughs> carrying cross time. It's carrying cross time. And this is a match that might live in infamy beyond the fact because it certainly wasn't memorable during it um it got some pretty mid bombs lobbed i will be fair and unbiased in my analysis um we did in fact get a cyto suplex 
which a lot mm-hmm. of people were just wary of not getting because it's a little bit of a head dropper by main roster standards. People thought, well, what are you going to do? Like, just do do, do do Germans and, like, just be cross-eyed. <laughs> like, that was going to actually do them. But he was allowed to do the site, only still presumably allowed to do it for now. There's a struggle um, with the cross-jacket. I think the idea was Keith Lee was trying to remove um, carrying Cross's hand, the one that actually does something and doesn't just sort of like press against his ear because <laughs> carrying Cross is principally interested in making his own ear tap out. I don't get can some submission expert explain because I've been thinking about this for weeks. Like, he looks like like David Getter on the decks when he does that to me, <laughs> <laughs> he's just queuing up his next one. Fall and pray. I don't know why. He does this. I do. It's a visual, but that is another extension of the fact that it's all smoke, all mirrors. All the gear, the idea to use mm. a Newcastle up on time idiom. And for the second consecutive week, there is a story here, and Keith Lee has promised pretty much he's going to tell it. Um, there is something going on with Keith Lee. He's iced for reasons that aren't made clear. This lack of transparency causes a lot of Keith Lee's fans, he does have many, mm. um, to panic and sort of whisper amongst themselves what's going on. And whatever it is, it can't be good. It can't be like, all oh, right, he's recovered from an injury that, you know, I want to keep under wraps for whatever reason. But he's back now, good. And he's a guy who beat Randy Orton. There's a story here. I don't know what it is. It's not good. Keith Lee knows what it is. And per Twitter, in the aftermath, of this second consecutive clean in the middle pin uh, tap out loss, this one was. He says, okay, I've decided just to tell you the story, but give me a week or two. So Christ knows what's going on there, but um, it's going to be fascinating to see. And yeah, Cross gets his heat back. The heat that he probably should never have lost in the first place. What the hell do you make of all this? Well, I mean, it was short, not really boring takeover main event, wasn't it? So, you know. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, there's no precedent anymore. I was going to say, um, oh, well, if what Keith Lee was going to say in this great revelation was was a shoot, was real, then, and it was something to do with, say, being on the outs with WWE or having this massive issue with management, whatever. He wouldn't be featured on television. That would be the way it would work. He would be tweeting from the abyss. He would be tweeting from some house show somewhere because he can't actually you know it would have like, I was that right of it after work is went on TV that way first time around like but he's on TV getting beat and that almost feels too obvious a bit petrolly but then WWE do that just as much now as well they'll use people and fire them three days later in the middle of a pandemic no less they'll drag people to towns was it no way Jose yeah it's pictured in an airport being like oh, i don't really want to do this but you know i'll come and do the job because i suppose and then he was like one of the like black wednesday releases or something like that and it was just there were there's there's precedent for everything there's it's a, a company that like operates purely by chaos at this point so maybe you will maybe there's going to be like a 10 tweet thread where keith lee explains something drops his own bye bam and then that it gets released two days later or something and him and me him are out the door i don't know i don't know um I know that most of this match was still pretty dull. So if it was um, the attempt to reheat carrying cross, it was pretty ineffective. Um, he won, but who cares? Like, take that belt off him as well. Like, really think about what you're doing. 
having a guy coming out as the champion of something, anything, and having to like get his win back from last week, spending eight minutes beating Keith Lee because he couldn't beat Jeff Hardy in a minute and a half. Like he's wearing like he's wearing our belt on. There's DVD evidence of Vince McMahon himself showing a little bit of remorse for Triple H pinning Taz when Taz came out as the ECW champion that time on SmackDown. Like, not that the daft old bastard will remember ever saying that, but the point is, is that they used to have a modicum of respect for some of the old ways and how to, like, if they were doing things wrong, at least after the fact, yeah, how bad? Like, this is your own thing. People might buy that replica on Tudor's shop. They're not going to while Karrion Cross is wearing it on Raw and doing this sort of stuff. Get the belt off him. Like, if you can't take it off him in NXT for another few weeks, stop him coming out to ringside with it on Raw. Yeah. Like, bit of church and state at this point. Too boring to have fun with, though. Nowhere near as fun talking about as last week's. I know, it's a shame. It's one of those things where I found watching this, and I'm not on Twitter, WWE is so multifariously bad that I can't tell if the treatment of Keith Lee is just incompetence or them being vindictive, but I'm inferring from Keith Lee's tweet that it is, in fact, vindictive. Um, Up next, the incredible depth of the much trumpeted Raw tag team division um, was showcased here as Mansoor and Mustafa Ali defeated Mace and T-Bar. Um, they did a little pre-tape promo saying that, look, we're big, you're small, so you get fed to us because they are apparently hunters, which uh, it's so sub-ascension trash. Like, it's <laughs> absolutely odd. The match itself went... More or less how you'd expect, I guess, in that the big lads dominated the small lads. Um, Mansoor was the guy who was pulling the strings almost, showing up Mustafa Ali in the in the story of the match by essentially getting him in advantageous positions, and then eventually, in just a three minute nothing match, really, um, he was the one who got the win, uh, much to the surprise of Mustafa Ali. Uh, Mansoor in the aftermath raised Ali's hand in celebration. He seemed quietly impressed, judging by his actor face. What's going on here in the UK? Uh, not a lot and only a little bit. This in, in the warped world of WWE, this wasn't bad. Um, in wrapping your head around how characters behave in this universe rather than ours, this was like passable stuff. Um, I think we talked about this a bit on the preview yesterday. There's an, at least a month, hopefully longer, but, you know, people can never coexist. But there's at least a month in Mansoor doing this, in showing Mustafa Ali that not only can he be trusted, but he can actually be relied upon to maybe be the star of the team. And then for Mustafa Ali to join him at that level. And the two of them to be great, genuinely great for a bit. Just do some spots that make the crowd pop, you know, like things that you might want to pay to go watch live in person because you've been robbed of entertainment for a year. Get a month out of it if you want and then go down the route of Ali getting jealous that he thought he was the wise old owl in all of this. And it turns out he's just been outworked the entire time by this rookie. It's not the worst thing, honestly. Um, get Get them to a tag title loss and have that be the moment that if you're going to have a flashpoint between them or whatever, like on it, like this, this was probably how it should have gone. All things considered, like not, not a failure by any means. No, no half competent. You've got the idea that he's been patronized. He's 
He's already annoyed Mustafa Ali. This is going to annoy Mustafa Ali further because basically what's going to happen here is Mansoor is going to secure some more victories for the team if, in fact, the storyline isn't completely dropped. Where's Angel Gaza? There's always mm-hmm. several examples of these things just totally bent in any trust. Mansoor's like, Mustafa, I'm going to boot this rose up a guy's ass. Check it out. So one of, it's always the, the feeling that you cannot just think this is actually going to happen. But if, in fact, it does... Mansoor can start for the team over the next however many matches. And then when he makes one mistake, that's when Ali can get the heat in theory, mm. beat his ass, and then that sets up a singles match. It's really not that bad at all. But what was bad, genuinely bad. We had some fun on the preview. Like absolute pipe dream fun, talking about the Lashley Goldberg thing. And now they can do stuff around their incredible telegenic. This is why people legitimately like watching wrestling back in the day. Bodies, they're absolute units. They're shredded. Like, get them on scales. Like, get them doing like feats of power, killing jobbers between the pair of them. Like, they could just rip off Dempsey versus Corbin, was it? In NXT, yeah. something yeah. like that. But you can't pay Goldberg to do this, so he's not going to do it. So instead, to make Bobby Lashley, who was the almost protected heel champion in years, other than Roman Reigns, of course. To keep them strong, they killed. I mean, they're dead already as characters, but he killed Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin in a two minute, 42 second handicap match set up when Lashley said he didn't fancy dignifying Goldberg with a response to continue some of the social media chatter that has informed the beat of whatever the hell the story is. Um, he wanted an opportunity, did Cedric Alexander against. Um, Lashley, if in fact Lashley didn't fancy taking on Goldberg, Shelton Benjamin interrupted and said, do you know how annoying your voice was in a clear Vince McMahon fed line, a total directive. He's gone off the idea of giving Cedric um, Alexander promo time. Or, <laughs> on the other hand, he likes the fact that it's got a grating quality, shall we say, his voice, because Vince McMahon fundamentally hates the good type of heat and loves the wrong one. This all ends up in a two-on-one handicap match. Um, Bobby Lashley quickly quashes the idea that Benjamin and Alexander can start working together, destroys them both with a series of power moves that I'm not going to not pop for in a muted way because Lashley's just awesome. And he wins and he stacks them. Was this careless agenting a hint towards a future program? Am I reading too much into this? Or is it just they saw visual that flogged a few T-shirts and thought we'll have that on this show as well? Yeah, I think probably that. I think it's more a bit of um, like legal plagiarism because it's one of your own, you know. Bobby Dream is hardcore. He'll take them both. Um, it's, it was like, it was fine. What gets me about this, and I'm feeling this a lot already, like Bobby Lashley comes out and he's so over, man. Like people want to, that's what I keep going back to. People want to, and if you're not, going back to that what are you watching this for especially at this point like people have maybe bought a ticket to see the wwe champion imagine that and then this is what you've got on the board i, I just fine i guess like it, it is entertaining watching him like squash dweebs and two people that weren't dweebs until wwe decided that they'd be dweebs again with dweebs here but uh, it's just so reductive man it is so reductive and i don't even think wwe realize they're doing it you isolate the wwe champions contributions to the show to three minutes 
in which he crushes his ex-partners and doesn't want to talk about the match that we know is happening. Where's their energy? Like the fans want to give out so much of that energy and it should be getting volleyed between wrestler and audience and wrestler and audience. That's what John Cena's been doing. And that's why it's so hot, you know? Like, what the hell was this? I know, like, Bobby Lashley isn't always that guy, but he's shown that he can be. So just, like, give something back in response to what you're getting off them. Otherwise, you're going to lose them. And you probably will. I, I, I don't know. I, I just thought this was, like, just such a waste of a guy that should be much hotter than he is going into something WWE will tell us is a dream match, even if it's maybe not. Yeah. It's one of those where it's like, Goldberg can't or won't turn up for this one. What do we do? Keep him strong, pal. And it's sometimes it's bad analysis to be as reductive as that, but otherwise it's denying the reality of how low effort this churn actually is. Um, some effort was made to a degree to keep audience on the audience on the hook for whatever was to come next on Raw. Um, AJ Styles had a little proposal, a little secret proposal uh, for The Miz and John Morrison, which almost um, obscured um, ahead of John Morrison defeating Riddle. Like, I don't care about Riddle. <laughs> invest in Riddle. But what, uh, r- remind the, the listenership who took the, the pinfall in the six-way tag last week. Uh, was it John Morrison? Yes. I thought it was, yeah. 50-50 over the place. As much as I don't really like Riddle these days, he's clearly like... If you're looking at prospective WrestleMania headliners, or like three before the main event for a title, that doesn't mean as much as it could, but it's a world title. Like, you're kind of looking at Riddle as the guy at this point. John Cena certainly is. Yeah, John Cena is. I think that's been a tacit... I mean, it's hard to tacit. Like, it's very explicit what they're doing. Like, oh, he's endorsing him. Riddle's getting these reactions. He got them at Money in the Bank. He was over here in what was a pretty good match. Um, that with another absolutely risible finish. But like, why pin him? And I know why. It's because nothing matters. And I kind of I get annoyed when I read these sort of pretend good faith questions on Twitter when someone deigns to criticize WWE who wants access to the media wise. <laughs> it's because his brains. Why is Riddle taking the loss here? It's because his brains absolute soup, and they don't think. Oh, why do you ask the question when you get on the BT bus? <laughs> yeah, see, see what they tell you. So the Miz and Morrison, uh, the Miz, sorry, is going crazy with the, the dripstick on the outside. They absolutely love this dripstick. It's very distracting. It undermines what isn't by design. I don't think one of these sort of four and quarter star matches. That's. <laughs> on Raw, um, it's all right, it's a bit 50-50, and it all ends because Riddle begins climbing the ropes. He's got the advantage here, he does his stuff, the fans are actually enthused about it to a degree, and uh, AJ Styles has a master plan, right? He's going to let the Miz and Morrison in on it, right, okay. Um, it's something like the Deadly Games, where you've got the super hot, totally over, badass, He's also very intelligent, Steve Austin. They have to concoct this hugely elaborate ruse that is so complex and convoluted that not even Austin, right, mm. can grasp what's going on here. It's just, it's just deliciously evil. Um, AJ Styles grabs the scooter and hands it to Omos, and in the most whiny voice you've ever heard, how's Riddle contrived to get over? 
like you have to as much as you don't want to like doff your hat to the guy like his comedic timing his in ring is so strong that fans don't care that he will do things like climb to the top of the rope a naive whining idiot and go oh don't do that they make him do a whiny pleading voice mm-hmm. and it like it's excruciating don't do like the randy I don't <laughs> why is wendy styles all of a sudden I don't know why. Hey, oh man, what are you doing? And uh, he breaks the scooter in half. And guess what? The distraction is capitalized upon by the guy who took a fall last week. And uh, he hits Riddle with something. WWE's Twitter said, Oh, what's this? And I'm thinking, Name this, please. It's like, well, one, that's your job, and I don't really know the answer. And uh, Starship Payne follows. He never hits it cleanly, ever. As much as he was awesome in the Money in the Bank match, like, just retire that move. It's, it's not as good as you think it is. Uh, Riddle gets the win. And in a build towards the eventual big time, I guess you could call it, Raw Tag Team title match, Styles lays out Riddle with the Styles Clash in the aftermath. The fans get the message. Pretty broad, um, and they chant for Randy Orton, but he is not forthcoming. What did you think of the match and everything else? Oh yeah, the match was match was pretty good actually. Um, Riddle and Morrison have decent chemistry. I, yeah, like we have certainly tried to remain as balanced as possible when it comes to analysing Riddle's matches, but he has a lot of good ones. That's that's the reality of this situation, and he's in terms of what he does in the ring, his elevated status or his continual ascension is not like without strictly speaking in ring merit, I think is as kind as that can be because the matches are really bad. And this one wasn't either until, you know, the finish, which you <laughs> pointed out how absurd it was. The idea of Randy Orton, this guy that like once wouldn't even engage in that chat with Riddle in the new day, because I like uh, breaking people's skulls with the toe of my boot. But he's going <laughs> to, Whatever the frig it was, he's gonna come back and Avenger Brook. With the air to come on my cack. Yeah, he's gonna come back and Avenger Brook and Scooter. Like that. He's gonna be sat at home thinking, I just wanna come back to work. Bolts upright. I'm coming, Riddle. Like that. Gets on his own scooter. They've got matching scooters. He starts scooting to the next arena. I like, not bad because this is the big match, isn't it? It's, it's appeared in the distance for quite a while and we were arriving upon the destination so yeah start getting there i guess i i would have rather than pivoted honestly i was to kind of allude to what i was saying earlier on felt to me like styles and almost were getting over in a different way but you can only have one angle at a time so this is what you're going to get sadly and also like an observation you know apropos nothing else there's an awful lot of implied cum in those drip sticks isn't there let's not call it water it's implied cum um that's all full of implied cum is it Byron Saxon or Corey Gray, whoever was getting it in the face tonight in that bit that Vince obviously just loves. Squirt him and don't stop, Miz. Do not stop until that thing is empty, until the implied cum is all gone and dripping down Byron's face. There's loads of it. Like, if they're not flogging these at the buildings yet, it must only be because they know that the arseholes would fill them with beer and squirt kids or something. Like, But there's just too much. It's like, do you know what it is? It's a physical comedy version of when WWE do those backstage promos where they leave the camera leaning on someone's reaction face for five seconds too long. And it's like, everyone feels awkward staring at it. I watched one of them the other day for one of our five-star reviews. And it's when they used to put the little stings on the end where a wrestler would be like, if you love that, 
click to the right. Yeah. And you can see what and all that. And it was Daniel Bryan doing one. It was like, and because I've got nothing else to point at, if you want to see more Daniel Bryan content or whatever, point at my beard. And he has to point at his beard. And the camera just stays in for like three never ending youtube second the pictures didn't even freeze you can see his hands moving as he's pointing at his beard and we're like click my fucking beard that's the amount of implied cum in the drip stick there's just loads of it It just goes on and on and on to the point where the joke isn't funny like a water pistol impact one second impact there it is that's the gag but it's just you're just watching this guy who can't move from his position at the announce desk taking all that implied cum hard in his face from the miz I think you're onto something here because the drip thing start because Morrison dresses cool. And then do you think Mr. Morrison is when, do you think we can loads of like, do you think we can hide loads of like minced juice gags on telly? Call ourselves yeah. moist, but make people moist and yeah. it's all getting a bit sexual. It's more horny than Jake Roberts who's on Dynamite. <laughs> Remember that? Remember that? It was a vital <laughs> pair on Dynamite last year. <laughs> Our balls are full of gum and we're ready to do this. <laughs> He <laughs> used to say stuff like that all the time. Byron Spafton. <laughs> he was. Jake was mad into that. Was the, Jake the Shag Roberts for a few weeks. It's like, yeah. oh, it's a fall. We're going to be on Dynamite next week to just train him. Everybody dies. Everybody fucks because I'm Pants Archer. Oh, God. More of this. More of this. Up next was something that might have worked if they trusted their audience one iota to grasp things people laugh at when they are infants, right? And that's physical slapstick comedy. The very form of which does not require any exposition or explanation whatsoever. So what do they do? They have Reginald in a scheduled defense of the 24-7 title. (laughs) Hilarious oxymoronic developments that we've seen since this title was introduced. It's a comedy match. The idea is uh, R-Truth's thick and Reginald's incredibly athletic. Mm. And he's consistently outwitting R-Truth, right? Maybe if it wasn't literally talked down to in the faces of this crowd, they might have grasped this and been exhilarated to a milder degree by Reginald's like genuinely incre- impressive ability to do mad stuff with his body. Instead, they might up our truth for the headset. Why did they do this, Hamlet? Oh, I don't know. Weird choice. Um, it was, I can only assume they're looking for ways in which to make a Reginald match work because he can't, you know, like the Sasha Banks match wasn't a match, was it? Um, and now he's got a belt, so he's going to have to have these matches. And our truth has that reputation of being able to get anything over, not quite anything, because this didn't really work. Um, loved Reginald, <laughs> just I like, I love trampoline entrances, and wish like Sincara's had worked more often than it did, and hope Reginald's did. But him just careering into our truth at the start of this match was it's funny, man. Like, <laughs> they'll, they'll master it. it. He's really amazing, isn't he? Like he's he's amazing at a thing, but that thing isn't ultimately going to like land long-term in the context of the rest of the match, unless he can start to be a little bit like good at that too. Um, so the mic'd up thing didn't work. The match was a nonsense to build to more 24-7 nonsense. I get this, this gag, this three-year-old gag of idiots chasing other idiots. It just happens one's got a belt and the rest hadn't. Um, the ways in which they try to like breathe new life into this seem to me to require more effort than 
what's put into booking their main eventers. This is yeah. what I'm talking about, Bobby Lashley. We're so cold, that Bobby Lashley segment, and it just felt so unloved. It's like, right, the guy's around the table. Vince has got his steak wrapped with ketchup. It's like, right, talk me through Reginald tonight. It's like, well, he escapes the guys. How's he going to do it? Endless backflips up the ramp. I love it. Get the man a trampoline for the entrance as well. Like, priorities all over the shop. Yep. Korea uh, was in that 24-7 job squad as well. <laughs> of course he is. Like, you knew watching last week that he was going to end up in this, which, which again, enables you to not get into something any weeks into the future. That's, that's another one of those takes, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, again, blue tick or blue tick adjacent. I understand the point of having some fun on uh, Monday Night Raw, but uh, come on, guys, Drew Gulak's better than this. It's like, is he? I haven't seen any evidence since he wrestled Daniel Bryan twice. I know. We've made it, like, oh, God, we've made it. Um, in the main event, Charlotte Flair defeated Raw Women's Champion. <laughs> God! In 12 minutes. And oh my God, this was not a very good match at all. The reason being, in my opinion, and maybe this is cynical, but the idea is that Charles Flair, you can tell the story if you do the job. You can only tell the story, surely, if you do the job. The story of the match, and I'm telling you, from my perspective at least, I'm pretty sure Charlotte in the ring was a little bit happy to, all too happy to go along with the story. So she didn't take Nikki A.S.H. seriously whatsoever. Mm. Um, so she was a little bit lackadaisical, or laxy-daisy, as uh, various <laughs> football pundits like to say. But laxy-daisy, <laughs> but laxy-daisy uh, in an in a offence. And then when Nikki A.S.H. did eventually get the comeback as a result of um, Charles Lair, like essentially handing her the advantage. She didn't really bump particularly well for her in a way that was like, I'm shocked at how great you are. The folly of my arrogance. I didn't get any of that in the beats of this match at all. Um, But basically continued along with that way until very finish. Very Nikki A-S-H finish. Like what a nonsense. Oh, by the way, kids, you got a new hero. Great. I'm six and I'm a little bit thick still. All right, we're going to call her two different names. Oh, that's confusing. One of which you can't say. All right, okay. I'll just watch Peppa Pig instead, shall I? <laughs> cool. So Nikki ESH's crossbody, like, you know, she can fly because she's a superhero. Well, I mean... I'm just, sorry, I'm just imagining, like, imagine one of the kids saying to you, Dad, um, Peppa Pig, she's going to jump in the muddy puddle, but, like, the mud's it's off. It's gone. Now she's jumping on playing grass. Isn't that like the big ending of every episode? I don't get it. I want to no, see. I don't, I don't, I don't get that one else. either. Me and the other dad at work will do a podcast about it later on. It makes no fucking sense, does it? <laughs> We're also 35 and 36. <laughs> God damn it. So in the end, yeah, Charlotte rules through the flying crossbody and uh, just pins her. Feet in the middle. Unbelievable it's a- finish. Is a result of Nikki Ashes because it's just easier to say her incompetence, right? Her naive incompetence. She's a, she's a wrestling champion, right? But her naive incompetence totally ruins it for her. And in the end, I'm thinking, all right, here's Becky Lynch. You yeah. must have thought this too. I'm thinking, yeah. oh, Christ, this is dynamite styley. A match ends four minutes. I think it was, it was literally like three minutes, I think. Match finishes, there's an interview, angle alert, angle alert, angle alert, blaring through your head. Oh, God, at least we've got some content out of this. 
Um, I don't know how much I want to see Becky Lynch in this, but you know, she get a massive pop. Here yeah. we get a little bit of content out of it, and there's no Becky Lynch forthcoming. <laughs> Instead, Nikki Ash, who I should mention before this match, this is after the opening verbal segment, was again interviewed, and she went, I'm not scared of failure anymore. Say something else! <laughs> <laughs> Because you're playing a children's TV character and you're essentially a wind-up toy. But to say something else... It's not, it's not a shoot. It's not a shoot. Like, they know what's coming at the end. Like, Dad, Dad not, only, not only did the muddy puddle go away, Pepper broke her legs and she can't jump ever again. <laughs> oh! Right, yeah. Pepper Pig's really horrific and soul-destroying. I don't think I'm going to watch Pepper Pig next week. Now, what you need to do, kidda, is uh, give it 30 more years and keep your fucking fingers crossed. Charlotte, let it play out. Yeah? <laughs> let it play out. She might have a leg back next week. <laughs> no. Anyway, so what happens is uh, Kevin Patrick comes into the ring to interview Charlotte, um, but she decides to just take the piss out of Nikki Cross. Maybe a babyface savior's on the way. No. <laughs> so Nikki admits that she loses. And she says that she was almost a superhero on this night. And she says verbatim quote that I have written down, having actually heard it one second before. I showed myself that I almost could have won. (laughs) (laughs) So what we've come to take from this is the initial matters the most in her name is not super or hero, but almost... That's the key bit. The other yeah. two are interchangeable, but Nikki almost is what actually matters about this character. Nikki almost. I mean, it's... I can't wait to she's Nikki Arge, because it's Nikki almost a jobber. Like that. But here's the thing. Despite saying that, she showed herself that she's nearly there. So next week, she thinks she's going to be there all the way. She's confident that she could beat Charlotte, so she issued a challenge to a rematch next week. This is your big hoop for next week's show. A rematch of a dire match. A soul-destroying match if you are one of these people who is six and enjoys the <laughs> ASH. And this rating is going to die. Like, it, it, unless they parachute Cena and Reigns in for a confrontation, like this, like, this show next week's going to die in the rain. Charlotte accepted the match, of course. Cheap shot, lays her out with a big boot. And uh, Charlotte, again... Drags Nikki in front of a young fan who held up a Nikki A.S.H. Ash sign and uh, just killed her dreams too with another big boot. Show ends. No, like, no Lynch. No angle. No, they literally said, we're going to do this exact same thing that wasn't particularly good next week. The kid with the sign bit, and again, this goes back to something you said earlier on, is great heat when you can trust the process. Really great heat because that kid needs to know that in the end things are going to be all right and Hero's going to prevail. But the kid that's watching this show can't have that. So you don't. It's is he getting her glasses taken by Sasha Banks, knowing in the end that Bailey's going to fight for it and she's going to win in the end. You know, like uh, it's fine. It's it's amazing when it when you can actually trust that this fake thing can be tailored to look after the kids. But this is not that, is it? It's the mean spirited will of an old mug. Like it's just. Yeah, I've got nothing nice to say about this. I, people cannot have everything when it comes to this Nikki character. The whole, I have no real feeling on the Nikki A.S.H. character whatsoever. I'm not horribly offended by an adult dressing like a superhero, nor am I completely cold to the idea that she is 
this is all her and she somehow managed to like sneak this pitch through this broken system and get over with it so quickly in the way that she has done and she has um like I, I, I'm kind of neither of either when it comes to that it's like just cool right a, th a thing is working for now let's just take that and see how far they get with it um but you can't blame fans for on this when they're basically being told they're back in a loser told it shown it having it forced down their throat and Christ what's going to become of her next week does is it 50 50 with Charlotte does she win next week I bet she does I bet it's with Ray Ripley's help yes 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 you yes. know like so the triple threat then becomes it just you just flip and it becomes Rhea Ripley being the one saying ah oh, you got it done against her but you wouldn't have been able to do it without me and then they just repeat the bit over and over again until all three are fighting at the end and this whole thing comes full circle and we're back to Nikki celebrating beating the clock and lasting two minutes with these people that are far superior to her it's crap and it's okay to acknowledge something as being crap even if you want and you are willing for the person themselves to um, get over and have a success of something. Just because it's nice to be nice to Nikki Cross, the human being, you don't have to be nice to a company that can't book a pro wrestling show. It's really important that people understand those distinctions. I mean, there are no words for how bad this show was. <laughs> there are no more words because Jeff's off. Spent an hour trying to do it in this thing that is literally, I think, well, I can speak personally here, but it's driving me insane. <laughs> I've seen this goddamn show. It's funny that they have completely botched the return to live fans already on Monday nights. It'd be naive to think they weren't going to do it, but it, it should never go unsaid how drastically awful this show must be to not reward this many people in one place after the last 18 months everyone's had in their lives. Jesus Christ almighty. If you've got anything to say, good, bad, or otherwise about this show, feel free to tweet us at WhatCultureWWE and follow us as well. Uh, whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Sidgwick. Again, you can follow us all here at WhatCulture, the wrestling team, at WhatCultureWWE. And for now, this show sucks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.